welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. Hey, Kingdom Culture. Happy Sunday. Welcome. Welcome. So thankful that you're with us today online. Don't forget, join into the chat. Let us know what's going on. What's up? Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Share the link if you're on Facebook. We're just so thankful that you're here this morning. And I pray that you would have an incredible encounter with the living God, even though it's just online. We are in week four this week of our Worthy series leading up to what we call every year our House of Hearts special year-end offering, and that's on December 12th. And the whole series has been based on this idea of Jesus is worth it all, based out of Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 to 12, that says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, verse 12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy, come on, say it with me. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is Jesus who was slaughtered, who was crucified, who was put on a cross so that we could have new life. He resurrected so we could be resurrected just like him to new life. And so we're just so thankful for all that Jesus has done and is doing for our lives every single day. And so he's worthy of it all. He's worthy to receive everything that we are back to him. We've talked about uh, what Paul said in chapter 12 of the book of Romans about how we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Like we are the living, walking, sacrificial uh, sacrifice that is to be given to God and offered to God every single day. And so this is what this whole series really is based around. Even though we haven't exegetically broken down uh, Revelation chapter 5, it's kind of our baseline just to say that we believe Jesus is worth it all. Last week, we had an amazing guest speaker, Pastor Jonathan Lambert. He leads Experience Church along with his wife, Natasha, and they lead this amazing, amazing life-giving church out in Calgary, Alberta. And if you haven't listened to the, ma- the message last week, I'd encourage you, listen to it. Super encouraging, and especially during this series that we're in. Well, this week, on my Supernatural Leadership Podcast, which, by the way, if you haven't subscribed to it, I would encourage you to subscribe to it. It's v- available on all platforms, including Charisma. And I would, it's a free podcast, of course, lots of good content, lots of amazing interviews, and uh, even my own content on there that would really encourage your leadership to make it a little more supernatural in and through your life. But this week, we launched a new episode with a very well-known financial coach named Toyan Crandall. She's also the author of best-selling book, Money Mindset Shift. And so I want to encourage you to listen to that podcast. It was powerful. 
We had some technical difficulties with my microphone, but we made it work. But it was a powerful con a convo. In fact, it's actually part one of two. We're having another convo real soon. And I just believe it's going to really encourage you, especially in the area of shifting your mindset around money. Now, one of the things that she said that really stuck out to me in talking about mindsets and, and in context of how often we self-sabotage our growth in areas around money because of what we believe about our own personal value. She said this quote, and I don't even know if it was like a planned quote, just kind of came up in conversation. She said this that really stuck out to me. She said, our subconscious shows us what we are comfortable with. Our subconscious shows us what we are comfortable with. And talking about how mindsets around money, when we either are struggling or we are successful, and sometimes both sides of the coin, how they expose parts of our life or parts of the belief systems that we've stored up in our subconscious, when we have success or we have loss, they expose and they are a revealer of what we are comfortable with. So that's why some people, when they get more than enough, they self-sabotage and lose what they have. Or that's why some people are always staying in a perpetual cycle of lack and struggle and surviving. There's lots of different reasons, of course, but she said this statement and it really stood out to me and it really connects to the message and the theme of this message today. And that is around this idea that money is a great magnifier of where our mindsets are at. Whether we have plenty, whether we have just enough, or what feels like sometimes barely surviving. And you know, for us as Kingdom Culture, my desire, our desire as a leadership team, as a community, is that our culture, our community would be healthy in an area, in the area, in their individual lives around money, but also collectively as a spiritual community and how we see the connection between our money and our relationship with Jesus in our life. We wanna, we wanna have a healthy, healed perspective when it comes to money. And this is a huge aspect as to why the House of Hearts special year and offering in moments like those are so vital to our faith journey because it's not about the money as I've said over and over again as much as much as it's about what God does in and through our hearts when we trust God with our finances with often what's with with what's most precious to us like it's really easy to give God a lot of times like our time to give God our skill our talents to give God room to give God time of prayer to give God time in the word but sometimes it's really hard for people to trust God with their finances. The thing that they don't even often know is dictating, ruling, mastering, managing them rather than them managing it. And, um, you know, I, I often, I liken this idea to if you, if I was to ask you the question, like what's more important for those on a weight loss journey? Is it what you gain after the weight is lost? Or is it what you gained along the way, trusting the process that one day you will get to your weight loss goal? What's really more important? And I, I, would, I would venture to say always it's the process. It's the journey towards the goal. It isn't the goal itself. It's the journey towards the goal. And that's why we see in scripture, like God majors 
in processes, <clears throat> brutal processes. He, he majors in developing character through the hard times so that when we get to the good times, we don't self-sabotage. We don't throw it all in the trash. We don't ruin or fall to ruin because our character was not developed enough to handle it. And so, you know, at the end of the weight loss journey, really the most important part of the process is what you gained along the journey. You know, for us every year near the end of the year, right before the end of the tax year, on the second Sunday of December, we have our year, special year in House of Hearts offering. And for many people out there, it's going to be a first time step. You're going to step out and begin to trust God with your little for the first time. Maybe for those of you that are listening right now, maybe for you, you've trusted God before, but you've never stepped out and trusted God with your tithe, with your first 10, your 10% as the Bible talks about over and over again. And we've taught so many times over the years, or maybe for you, it's going to be above and beyond your tithe. It's going to be a great, crazy for you, sacrificial offering. And once again, like, hear me say this, it's never about the size of the gift. It's never about the size of the gift. It's always about to God, the size of the sacrifice. God looks at the sacrifice, but even more than the sacrifice, he looks at the obedience to what he's calling you to sacrifice. And that's how we win in generosity. That's what joy looks like made manifest in generosity. When we can be obedient, lean into God and do what he's calling us to do, we're gonna find the joy of God in that. When we do it out of obligation, we do it out of ritual tradition, maybe every year you do it, but you don't wanna do it. Listen. God doesn't want a non-cheerful giver. He wants, he enjoys, he loves the cheerful giver. Of course, he loves you if you're doing it out of obligation too, but that's not the heart of why we do what we do. I believe the blessing, the breakthrough, all those things fall on the joy part of stepping out onto the water and trusting God with what he's saying for us to do. So whether that's a first time trusting God with one-time financial gift and you're stepping out or it's, you know, your tithe, like I said, or it's a sacrificial offering, whatever it is for you, you have to find that space in your relationship with God and really hear him and tune in because when you do and you step out, man, I'm telling you, God breaks through. And that's why we attach something that we are believing for with our special year-end gift. Write it on a card and we believe for the next year. And over and over again, we hear so many stories about people's breakthroughs because they stepped out in this moment. And so once again, it's more about what God does in our heart. And so we hope that you would join us in this. It's an amazing experience for our community. It helps us continue the, the work forward, but it also helps us to have bigger dreams to expand and, and prepare for the day when we're coming back, prepare for the day when we're gonna have our own building in Jesus' name. And so today to dive into the message, I know that was a long introduction, I really sense that God is going to illuminate us and magnify some stuff today. And I wanna read out of Matthew chapter six, verse 19, says this, some people store up treasures in their homes here on earth, and this is a short-sighted practice. Don't undertake it. Moths and rust will eat up any treasure you may store here. Thieves may break into your homes and steal your precious trinkets. Verse 20. Instead, put up your treasures in heaven where moths do not attack, where rust does not corrode, and where thieves are barred at the door. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Now, for week four of this worthy series, I want to share a prayer that I pray for myself and those around me all the time 
as we continue to grow in stewardship of our life, especially of our money, and that's God magnify it. Magnify our heart. Magnify our heart. Because so many things that are good in life, when we get them, are just simply going to magnify what's already there. So many things that are bad in life, when we get them, are just simply gonna magnify the cracks that are already there. So my prayer is magnify the heart, God. Let the heart always be magnified. Not in a way of like worshiped. I'm talking about like revealed. I'm talking about the magnifying glass of God on the heart saying, hey, what are your motives, Sean? What are your motives, so-and-so? What are your motives? Why do you want what you want? What's driving you? What's the mission? What's the reason? And so I believe God's gonna reveal some mindsets today. God's gonna reveal some mindsets today in all of us. The thing about Matthew 6 I just read is what is where we put our focus, or let's say where we put our worship, simply magnifies where our heart is currently at, where our treasure is, therefore there will our heart be also. So wherever we put our focus, wherever we put our worship, whatever is driving us, there our heart will also be. And if our heart is there, that means that's what we value the most. So let me ask you the question, what's driving you? Is it mission or is it money? Is it the reason that you're doing what you do? Or is it the outcome of what you do, what you do, the money, mission or money? What's leading you, generosity or greed? Are you desiring to be more generous if you're believing God for financial breakthrough in your life or that promotion or whatever? Or are you desiring just to have more in life, generosity or greed? What's more important, health or this hustle? What do you value more, healthy life, healthy leadership, or just this optic that you're like this hustler, you're just like crazy worker and you're just like hustle, hustle, grind, grind, grind. Those, those statements make me cringe. Hustle, hustle, hustle. But in the end, the question is this, who's number one? Is it God or is it mammon? Mammon is the word for money, the God of money. Now remember this, out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, that money is not the root of evil. It's the love of money. Paul encourages his young son, Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, encourage the rich, remind them. It's the love of money, not money. Money is not bad. Money is very good. Money is not the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love. It's the worship. It's the idolization. It's the idolatry of money that is the root of all evil and all kinds of destructive, crazy stuff. Money does not ruin you. It simply magnifies you. Write that down. Money does not ruin you, it magnifies you. What ruins you is the cracks in the heart that were already there. Just like pressure, challenges, trials, tests. They do not ruin you. They just simply magnify the strength that already exists. What ends up ruining you is that we don't build foundation in the off season. We don't build foundation in the bulking season. We don't build uh, storage, let's say, in the bulking season. And then we, we go through a hard season and we've not built up the muscle or the strength we need to handle the pressure. It's actually not the pressure that kills us in the end. It's always what's already within us that was not meant, was, was not established that allows us to find ruin in our life or walk down the path that we don't wanna walk down. 
And we often think of it this, this way, money, you know, and, and, and think about how, you know, money is, is, is bad because it, it does ruin people. But I just don't believe that. I don't believe money ruins people. I believe money in the wrong hands ruins people. So it's, it's really who is, who is the money given to? What, what, what's the foundation? What's the character like? What's, what's the background? How has their process been? What's their self-control like? Their discipline, their motivation? What's their MO in life? Money just magnifies what's already there, just like pressure and trials in life. It both magnifies and amplifies the heart of man, simply revealing what's already there. Money in the hands of stability, character, self-control, discipline, a generous heart, and the love of God will simply magnify these things even more. Money in the hands of greed, fear, immorality, and bad character will magnify and only perpetuate destructive behaviors even more. We see this everywhere. Just look at the news, look in the media, look everywhere. I mean, you see it. When money is put in the right hands, a character that's been developed, stability, someone with self-control, drive, vision from God, that money can be leveraged and utilized to do great and good things in the world. We see this all throughout scripture with some of the most generous and non-generous people from poor to rich in scripture, from poor widows to queens and kings, all the way to Judas and so on, that money simply magnifies what's already in the heart. The thing is, money matters. And you will either manage it or it will manage you. I remember years ago, we did this series called Money Matters. And, and uh, this, this statement kept coming up over and over again. Like, we don't want to be mastered by it. We want to master it. We don't want to be managed by it. We want to manage it. It. That's the heart of God over our lives. Jesus said, as he names it as one of the possible masters or gods in our life, in Matthew 6, chapter or chapter 6, verse 24, he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. You can't have two gods. You can't worship two entities. He names money as a God, as an entity, something that will rule you. But when you serve God, when you worship God, you will have rulership over your money. You will be able to steward money. You will be able to manage money. But if money has you and not God, if money has your attention and not God, it will master you. And in the end, you cannot serve both. You'll either hate one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. Today, God wants us to have clarity with where our mindsets are at, with where our heart is at. He wants to magnify hearts today, I believe that, to shift us in this next season. And I wanna highlight three mindsets that robbed Judas, the right-hand guy of Jesus, the guy who, who was one of the 12 disciples. He was the one who handled the money. He was the one who was in charge of the money. In fact, in John 6, Jesus even exposes the fact that when he called Judas, he knew that Judas would be a betrayer. He knew that Judas would betray him. It was part of destiny. It was part of the plan. He simply called Judas in the condition he was already in and then said, hey, I'm going to give him management over the money. But I know that it's the money that's simply going to magnify the crack that was already in Judas, the mindsets that were already in Judas. He was already going to betray me. He was already a betrayer. And when money gets into his hands, it's simply going to magnify that and we're all going to see it, but it's part of the plan. 
It's part of the plan. And so this is what we're talking about today. I want to talk about Judas a little bit. I want to talk about Jesus' right-hand guy. And I want to reveal some things in Judas that I believe we can learn from. Like we can learn from Judas's failures. We can learn from Judas's wrong mindsets. We can learn from what I call the bad BS in Judas, which is the bad belief systems. Okay? The bad BS is the bad belief systems in Judas. Number one, number one, Judas had a problem with bad virtue signaling. Bad virtue signaling. The type of signaling without practice an actual belief in what was being signaled. In other words, it was more about the appearance. It was more about the facade. It was focusing on what people's perception of him was rather than an actual living out of the things he was saying he was believing or he was about. And I, you know, I think about bad virtue signaling a lot in this season because it's everywhere. There's lots of bad virtue signaling everywhere, especially with all the COVID stuff going on and and, uh, and I, I understand difference, the differences of opinion about, you know, what to do, what not to do when you're in public and all that stuff. And I'm not going to get into an argument about that online. Um, but I, I remember a, a moment this summer when we took our kids to this outdoor, uh, I won't use the name just to, to honor the name of this business. Let's just say we went out to this outdoor thing, okay? And there was lots and lots and lots of people. I'm talking about thousands of people, okay? And to get in, just to get into this thing, okay, just passing through, showing our tickets to get in, we were all required to wear our masks just to get in. So there was staff there and they were scanning our tickets and we were getting in. And and, uh, and th that process maybe took about 15 minutes, okay? So we're in line with hundreds of people, okay? Going into an area where there's thousands of people. And just to get in, we had to wear a mask. But once we were in, we didn't have to wear our masks anymore. In fact, there were thousands of people Shoulder to shoulder, there was no signs on the ground, no social distancing signs on the ground. In the lineups, all the staff was around. No one was saying anything. Everybody was in lineups. Thousands of people, hundreds of people in one line and side by side, no social distancing, nobody, not one person wearing a mask. And in those moments, you just, you realize, man, like that, that thing, that thing that we did when we entered the area was simply bad virtue signaling. People that were kind of, driving by, walking by, maybe bylaw was going to be there. We want to signal that we're doing the right thing. But once they get in, it's like there's no rules. Once they get in, nobody's monitoring. They're only monitoring at the door. To me, horrible case of bad virtue signaling. And I kind of laughed about it a little bit because I'm like, what was the point? Like, if we're going to get COVID, we're going to get COVID in the thing that we're doing side by side when we're literally like, <laughs> with thousands and hundreds of people in a lineup. That's where it's going to happen. It's not going to happen with hundreds of people just passing through a line really quickly when everybody was actually social distancing. You get what I'm saying? That's bad virtue signaling. And I want to give you an example of this with Judas. Because Jesus is having dinner in John chapter 12, having dinner in Bethany six days before the Passover celebration, before he began his journey to the cross, okay? And he was in the home of Lazarus, his good friend, who he had raised from the dead on the fourth day in, that we read about in John chapter 11. Uh, and he's eating dinner with his sisters as well. There's others there. We don't really fully know who all was there. But he's eating dinner uh, with uh, sisters Mary and Martha as well. Sisters of Lazarus. And uh, Mary, Mary pours out 
a 12 ounce jar of expensive, okay, perfume. Like, like I don't know what kind of perfume it was, but expensive jar of perfume on the feet of Jesus as an offering, okay? Very expensive. I mean, we do know actually what kind of perfume it was, but I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking like, could it be related to like Tom Ford or what would it be related to? It's very expensive, okay? I actually don't even know any perfume that's on the market that would be worth this much. But anyways, she pours out this perfume, this 12 ounce jar of perfume as an offering, as a sacrificial offering, as, a, as an honor moment, as like an honoring moment. You know, obviously Mary had received and been the recipient of one of the craziest miracles Lazarus, her family, being raised from the dead after when a possible situation occurred. Lazarus being raised from the dead. So she's super thankful. She maybe has a sense of destiny. I mean, even Jesus kind of says it after the experience about what was to come. Has a sense of like he's about to embark on a game-changing transformational journey. And this is the time to honor him. She had a sense of destiny and purpose in that moment. But she honors Jesus, pours out this offering, this perfume onto his feet and wipes his feet with her hair, which was a humble sacrificial act of love worth one, it was worth one year's salary. And it says the home filled, was filled with this fragrance. And a little side note, let me ask you this question. What would it be like to have a life filled with the fragrance of sacrifice? Like, I think that's one of the greatest things that we can leave behind as a legacy to our children, to our children's children is that people would know us as a man or a woman of sacrifice, who lived a life of sacrifice, who lived a life of honor through sacrifice, sacrificing for the next generation, planning for the next generation, sacrificing and taking the hits so that our kids' kids could have a better life, could have a better way of living, have a better society to grow up in. I, I think that's one of the greatest legacies we can leave behind. What are we sacrificing for the future? What are we sacrificing now for the future of eternity that will impact? And not just, you know, earth as we know it, but that that sacrifice now for the earth as we know it will actually impact generations in all eternity because it will affect the eternal outcomes of their life. What would it be like to live a life filled with the fragrance of sacrifice? And so, and, and let me just highlight one thing. The reason why this is such, a, such an important act too is because you know, the feet in that culture were the dirtiest part of the body. That's why there was all these rituals, ritual washing, ceremonial washings that would have to happen when you'd go into someone's house with hands and feet. The feet were like, like the dirtiest part of the body. People walked everywhere, okay? People walked everywhere. So for her to get low, to get down, pour a year's worth of salary, okay, in one 12-ounce jar of perfume onto his feet, like it feels like a waste, does it not? It feels like a waste, but she had a sense of purpose. She had a sense of destiny that she was feeling on the inside, that Jesus was worthy. He was worthy of it all. The most expensive perfume. And then she wipes it, not with a towel, but with her hair. She wipes it with her hair. I think there's so many symbolic reasons for that. But here's the thing. I believe God wants our life to smell like the sacrifice we pour out. She wipes it with her hair. Guess what? She's smelling like her sacrifice for I don't know how long. I don't know when she washed her hair next, but she was smelling. She was for sure smelling like the sacrifice. God wants us to smell like the sacrifices we pour out in life. I believe that. People get around us and be like, man, you smell like sacrifice. You smell like something special. Yeah, I just, 
I, I live a life of sacrifice. I live Romans 12. I'm offering my bodies as a living, my body as a living sacrifice, like Paul said. And that's my spiritual act of worship. People can smell it. People can see it. People can feel it. Now, let me read the last part of the story that I want to highlight to you in John chapter 12, verse 7. I gave you some of the context of what was happening. She pours out this sacrifice and then it says this, but Judas, okay, Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him said, this is verse five, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. She did this in preparation for my burial. My, my burial. I've actually preached the whole message just in this passage before. And there's so many er elements of like the type of perfume that was used and the connection to this whole thing of what he's saying about his burial and what was about to happen, him going to the cross. There's a whole other side to this story. But I want to highlight the mindset here in Judas. He's complaining in this moment. He's making a statement that Jesus is not worthy of a year's worth of salary. Jesus is not worthy of this costly perfume. Jesus is not worthy. I mean, we could have, and he's this facade, this virtue signaling. Like, I want people to know that I care more about the poor. I want people to know that I love the poor. It's part of our religion. It's part of, it's part of our, we read it in James, you know, it's part of our religion. It's part of our, the heart of God for the poor. Absolutely, justice, the poor, it is. That's Jesus' ministry. But it wasn't the only part of his ministry. And part of his ministry was also training up disciples to see things the way he sees them. And in this moment, what was more important in that one moment was this moment leading up to his burial. It, it was a moment that would be remembered for all eternity, that would be shared for all eternity, that we're still talking about today. This woman's sacrifice, this woman's offering. This I'm sure this woman did a lot of things for the poor. But this moment for Jesus was super, super important. I've heard so many people, okay, over the years, like so many people literally say word for word the words of Judas and don't even realize their own mindsets, that don't even hear their own mindsets. Oh, we could have done this with that. And, and yeah, you're right, you could have. But what if that wasn't what God wanted you to do in that moment? What if God wanted you to buy your son this thing? You could have gave that money to the poor. Why didn't you do that? Because you felt like you wanted to buy your son this thing. You, you, you could have, you know, you could have done this over here and invested in this ministry and that ministry and this charity and that charity, help this person. I mean, there's always, always a need out there. That's why obedience in sacrifice is so important. Sacrifice in and of itself, okay, is lifeless without obedience. Sacrifice is for the sake of sacrifice is lifeless without obedience obedience, knowing what God wants you to do, knowing what God wants you to sacrifice. And I've heard so many people virtue signal this idea, this facade, this persona that we care about X, Y, C, we care about justice, but really they don't care. They just want to expose something that they don't understand. In this moment, Judas was trying to expose something he could not understand because of a bad belief system in front of him. And I've seen so many big ministries get attacked by the very people that are doing way less than they are. In fact, 
very few times will you ever find people attacking other people that are doing more than those they are, ta are attacking. Very few, very few times will you find that. You often see the attacks more from people that are attacking people that are always doing more than they are. But they don't understand and so it's easy to sit on the sidelines and attack. Well, you should be doing this with that, this with that, this with that, this with that. You may be right or you may be completely wrong because you don't have the perspective of God in the situation. You just have a virtue signaling. You have a you have a focus on what you are portrayed as rather than understanding maybe there's something God happening on the inside and that's the reason why so-and-so has done this and so-and-so has done that. So number one, we have bad virtue signaling within Judas that we, I believe, money just simply magnifies. This perfume, this offering magnified this bad virtual signaling mindset in Judas. Number two, the willingness to compromise. The willingness to compromise. What are you willing to do to compromise? Well, you cut corners. Oh, my clients will never know. So-and-so will never know. Let me just say this. If you give the devil a crack in the door, eventually he'll break the whole door down. If you give the devil a crack in the door, he will break the whole door down. Let's go to Matthew chapter 26, verse 14. Then Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. He didn't say, hey, leading priest, what will you do for me if I betray? He actually said, how much will you pay me? What's the monetary value on my betrayal? What's the monetary value on my compromise of loyalty? What will you give me in return? The willingness to compromise in this, in this moment for Judas actually follows the bad virtue signaling that we read about in John chapter 12 from the previous point in Matthew's account of the story. So when you read Matthew's account of the story, this moment in Matthew chapter 26 follows what happens directly after he has this bad virtue signaling moment with this sacrificial gift on the feet of Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? Because what happens first with this bad virtue signaling often is the on-ramp to actual, the beginning or the willingness to compromise in life. I mean, of course there were compromises in his life. I mean, we hear about him stealing money. I mean, there were compromises already, but the willingness to go this far and to the and to to, uh, to do the ultimate compromise, which is betrayal. This is where it begins. It begins with living this lie of hypocrisy, virtue signaling to the world that I'm about this when really I'm about this. This was what we see in Judas's mindset. How much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? How much will you betray? Now, he still hasn't. Remember, at this point, betrayed Jesus in his action yet. It's, he's beginning the steps. He's taking the steps. This is when money became more important than loyalty to him. And once this begins to happen, you know you have a problem. That bad virtue signaling leads to a willingness to compromise. And then ultimately two, and the third point is the betrayal. Number three, the betrayal. We're almost done. Luke chapter 22, verse 47 to 48 says this. And while he was still speaking. Now, let me give you a little bit of context. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas had already made the transactional sort of agreement that he was going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He's leading 
the opposition right now to Jesus, to where he's located. Judas knew where he would be with his other disciples. And he leads them into the garden to capture Jesus, to arrest Jesus, to begin the process of taking him to the cross. And Jesus, according to scripture, doesn't even fully realize what he's betraying him for. He's just betraying him. And this is just a sign of like how money can so blind us that we don't even realize why we're doing it. Like, why do we want that car? Why do we want that big financial goal? Why do we want, sometimes we don't even realize why we are doing what we are doing. We just think that we know. Judas, according to scripture, didn't even fully understand, according to one account at least, that Jesus was actually going to be arrested and like crucified. Like he didn't physically, he didn't realize what he was betraying Jesus for or towards or to. And so Jesus, Judas is leading the opposition to find Jesus, says here, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, speaking of Jesus speaking, behold, a multitude. And he who was called Judas, one of the 12, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man? with a kiss, man, powerful, powerful. I mean, Jesus knew, Jesus knew the whole time that Judas would betray him. Jesus talked about it in John chapter six. He even talked about it at the last supper with his disciples. One of you here is a betrayer. And then the guy gets up right after. Nobody seemed to figure it out. The disciples were like, well, who, who's gonna betray you? They didn't put two and two together. Judas gets up right after the fact and actually goes to the leading priest, works out the contract, 30 pieces of, of silver, they still don't know. And then Judas comes after all of this. I mean, Judas doesn't even realize that Jesus can see right through it, obviously. Comes through all of this and then kisses him to say, like, hey, hopefully we're still good. Like, just strange. This is what money and the worship of money does to us, okay? Judas was leading the opposition right to Jesus in the garden and he just, and he didn't just point him out. He betrayed him with a kiss. The kisses of betrayal I think this is true for most people out there. If you've been in leadership in any way for some time, for two years, one year, 10 years, 30 years, 40 years, if you've been a parent, if you've been in any relationship for that matter, in any position in any company, you would probably have some sort of experience in this. But the kisses of betrayal hurt the most in life. Those that say they are with you make statements that they have your back, yet at the first are the first to sell you out when they get the chance. Because money will kiss you, and then it will kick you when you're down. This is what money does. See, the love of money, not, not money, sorry, I should say, the love of money, the worship of money. We, we worship it so much, it ends up mastering us. It ends up leading our lives. It ends up directing our lives. And then it really, guess what it does? It betrays us with a kiss. And then it kicks us when we're down. It brings our life to ruin, which is why the love of money, not money, is the root of all kinds of evil. What happens as a result of a root? Lots of fruit, lots of bad fruit. If the root is the love of money in your life, if, if the root of your tree, of your leadership in life is the love of money, it will produce a lot of bad fruit that will corrupt your life, bring your life to ruin in so many ways. How did Judas finish this whole process? We see about it, we, we can read about it in Matthew chapter 27. He hangs himself, he commits suicide. He feels so much remorse, the Bible says, shame of what he did, not fully realizing that his betrayal would actually send him to the cross because that's what the worship of money does. The worship of money will crucify you. The worship of money will literally take your life out. 
the worship of, of money literally will cause you to come to a place where you don't want to live anymore. How many stories have you heard where the rich, 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 wealthy person had it all? They had all the money, yet they were empty inside. They wanted to end their lives. They had nothing to look forward to in life. They lost their family, lost their spouse, lost their kids. And in the end, they just wanted to die because it was like, what was the point of all of it? We hear about this even with guys like Steve Jobs and people that we look up to in society that have been crazy innovators and amazing, amazing minds of our day. And they had it all, yet they had nothing because money will crucify. The worship of money will crucify you. Remember, money in the right hands is amazing, but money in the wrong hands is destructive. And so Judas in Matthew 27, he hangs himself. He hangs himself. I once said this years ago, money will master you and then turn around and moon you. Because that's how I see it in my mind. It's kind of a humorous way of looking at it, but it's true. Money will master you and then turn around and moon you. It will like lure you in through lust, through desire, will lure you in. It's like, okay, I'm gonna get that goal. I'm gonna hit that goal. Money, 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 money's on the mind. Yes, money does matter. But remember, it's the love of money and we begin to love it. We begin to worship it. God becomes second place in our life. Money is the first thing. Money's all we think about. And then we get there and it betrays us with a kiss, turns around and moons us, being like, haha, you wasted all of your life, all of your time chasing me rather than chasing your mission. And when you chase your mission, the gospel is very clear. Matthew 6, when we seek God with all of our heart, Matthew 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33. If we pursue God, we pursue his righteousness, we seek the kingdom, the things that we need in life will be provided for us. I think my, my I think money as a master, you know, once it moons us, it's like, you know, you could have bid the one that I was chasing. Because once you chase mission, once you chase after God, once you seek kingdom first, guess what? Money chases after you. Money follows you. God's provision literally follows you because you're following him. But when you follow his provision, rather than following him, eventually you'll get stopped in your tracks and it will make a mockery of you. It will bring you to the end of yourself. It will do what it did to Jesus, even though that was part of the plan, and it will crucify you. The only difference is you may not resurrect out of it. And so that's why we don't want to make money a God. We want to keep God in first place in our life. On one side of the coin, Judas gave his whole life up for money. He gave up his whole life for 30 pieces of silver and ended his life. Jesus, on the other side, was taken, was crucified because of money, to set us free from the love of money, to set us free from the love of anything else that would get in the way of him first in Jesus' name. Maybe you're watching right now. Hopefully, this message is ringing true to you. It's striking a chord in your spirit. It's revealing mindsets. Maybe areas of your life where you are thinking now, man, like, I feel like maybe I've been letting greed drive me, not generosity. Maybe I've been letting... Money drive me, not mission. Maybe I've been letting the hustle drive me, not a healthy balance and a healthy leadership life. Maybe you've been letting these things drive you. Maybe God's not been the one driving the vehicle of your life. Maybe there's a magnification happening right now in your heart. This is not to condemn you because we all go through these ups and ebbs and flows in our life where we're always coming into check. And God is always bringing us back full circle. He's always helping us become aware of our current condition. 
so that we can move forward. And maybe there's areas of your life where you've not made decisions because of money. That sometimes is an indicator that you're letting money lead you. Maybe you're not trusting God with your finances because you feel like you'll have lack in your life. That's putting money first rather than God. There's so many areas of magnification that I believe we're gonna go through in this season. And I wanna encourage you to let Holy Spirit magnify where you're at so you can grow through this shift out of bad mindsets and into new mindsets that will shift your life into the greatest journey you've ever dreamed or you could could have never dreamed was possible in your life. So I wanna pray for you right now if that's you. Jesus, I thank you for everyone watching. God, and I thank you that everyone's on a different journey when it comes to money. Money is a swear word for so many people, especially mentioned in the church. We can't forget that Jesus talked more about money than about prayer. And there's a reason because if you don't have an understanding of some of the important things in the right way in our lives, it will affect your prayer life. So rather than just focusing on prayer only, I got to teach you some stuff, Jesus is basically saying, on some important topics like money so that when you pray, you pray right. And so this is why Jesus taught more on money than he did prayer. And I think it's so important that we understand this. And so I'm praying today, right now, God, that you would rearrange our mindsets. Help us to see like you see. Put the magnifying glass on our heart. God, I pray that you'd break us through. We're all the different spaces right now in our struggle with money. Maybe, maybe we're struggling to break through some limiting belief systems in our life right now, mindsets that we have, that maybe when every time we get into the more than enough and we have more than enough, we self-sabotage our lives. Or maybe we're so used to surviving, we're addicted to survival. Maybe whenever we get a blessing, we squander it and waste it on something because we think we're never gonna have it again or we're gonna lose it. Or maybe we're like that one person with the one talent that it's all we have so we store it away and never utilize and leverage it and invest it and steward it the way God wants us to steward it and therefore we lose it in the end. Whatever the case may be, or maybe you're on cloud nine and you're just breaking targets every single day and you're breaking into new realms every single day in this area of your life. Whatever part of the journey that you're on, I wanna pray that God would continue to change and transform your mindset more and more to become like his when it comes to this topic in Jesus' name. So God, thank you for what you're doing right now. I just see the Holy Spirit moving over your minds right now. I see the Holy Spirit moving in power. Some of you can feel something happen. I think some of you right now, you're like, you're on the, you're on the precipice. You're on the, the beginning journeys of some of the greatest financial movement you've ever experienced in your life, in your business, in your personal life. You're a, you're about to like break through. You're about to pop the balloon that's been slowly expanding for years. This this balloon of, of limitation and that limitation is going to pop in this season and all of a sudden you're going to break into this whole new realm in the area of finances. For some of you watching right now, you're starting with little. You're, God's been already speaking to you about, hey, you know, you've been struggling with even trusting God with your finances. And so you've, you've been feeling like you're going to start something little. Like even though you may feel like you're in debt, you may feel like you're struggling. It's some, it's everything starts small. Don't despise the small beginnings of your life. Start small. Do something today, something tomorrow, something the next day to help your mindset reform itself in this season in Jesus' name. 
I just believe for some of you, for your businesses, for your careers, that like there's some major, major change that needs to take place, but God has to work on your mindset before you can embrace the change. God has to work on your character before you can embrace the promotion. God is challenging right now. There's someone watching right now. You, in the last season, and I feel like it's been almost like the last quarter, the last quarter, the last quarter, this last quarter, the last three months, there's been stuff that's been happening at your job where you've been so frustrated. You've been so challenged. You've been so challenged. You're, you're, I don't know if it's your coworker, but I see like a specific team around you that's been just rattling you a little bit. You're frustrated with them. You're frustrated. You even thought maybe I should quit or move positions into a new department or or apply to a new job or just I need to get out I just believe that God has put you there for a reason to develop you to strengthen your character to prepare you because he does want to elevate you but he's breaking a pattern in you that you can't see when things get hard it's simply just magnifying the strength within you and I believe that some of the hard stuff you're feeling right now is a part of your development. So embrace it, lean into it, and watch what God does with it in the next season. For all of us else, for all of us watching, I just want to pray one last thing. God, I pray that as you speak to us in this next season to close out this year, God, whatever it is, whatever you're calling us to do to stretch our tent, stretch our financial tent, stretch our faith. And whatever it is, that by the end of this year, God, I pray that we would all be able to look back and be like, wow, I, I'm thankful that I made that step. I don't care how old you are watching. You may be in your 80s. You may be in your 90s, 70s. I don't care how young you are watching. It is not You're not exempt from anything that's being said right now. The younger you start this, the stronger you'll be when you're older. And even if you're older, you start now the stronger you will be before you leave this world. And I want to encourage you, don't stop moving in faith because you're older. Don't not start moving in faith because you're younger. Let's move forward together and see God break through on our behalf in Jesus' name in this area. God bless you, Kingdom Culture. We'll see you next week.